How's it going everyone? Uh, my name is Kenneth and this is episode number one of the Rough Around the Hedges podcast. Um, I have been making uh, some videos on YouTube since February this year, 2017, and I um, thought it would be a cool idea to start making some podcasts just about the food industry in general, focusing on agriculture. So, you know, basically fruit and vegetable farming. Um, that's what my, my videos are based on, just me growing vegetables at home and sort of documenting a journey that I'm on to hopefully one day start growing food for a living in like a small little in urban setting, like a market garden. Um, and that's basically what the video is about. But now that we're heading into winter here in the UK, I am sort of dreading going outside and gardening because it is freezing and there's not really much I can do. If you um, are listening to this podcast and you have followed me on Facebook, you've Oh, not Facebook, sorry, on YouTube, you would have sort of seen everything I've done and I have planted some stuff um, to grow over winter, but there's not really much I can do anymore. So, you know, I'd like to carry on providing content to the very, very small following that I have. Um, and I thought it would be great to start this podcast. So the first couple of episodes are going to be about food politics and um, more specifically about um, farming subsidies. So I've really, really enjoyed sort of looking into this subject um, and it's been incredibly enlightening to discover um, a bit more about the subsidies farmers get um, and how the EU farming subsidies work. Um, it's quite complicated and I have probably rambled on quite a lot in this first episode about what subsidies are, but um, you know, it's basically just a, a basic sort of entry level or at least my entry level understanding about about subsidies i'll probably make a couple more episodes um and sort of go into other aspects of the subsidies so you know where the money's going to and the breakdown of who gets it which you know is really interesting in itself and you know hopefully i'll, I'll make some other videos that deal with other aspects of it but it's an incredibly complex subject and i think us as consumers need to be aware of these kind of things because food is incredibly important. Um, fresh food, healthy food, local food, all those kind of things um, would create chaos if they didn't exist. If we had no access to food, there would it would be an issue. It's one of the most important things we need to sustain life is food. Um, you know, you might be able to live in a really cold environment if you've got protection, you know, from the elements, but if you don't have food you will die if you live in a really hot environment same thing you can protect yourself from the heat but if you don't have food and water you'll die so um i will get right into it i hope you guys enjoy this first podcast and um any suggestions or comments would be great you know i'm only learning um this is the first podcast i've ever made it um might seem a bit sort of rough around the hedges excuse the pun but um you know it's, i've got to start somewhere so um here's to the first episode Let us begin. So, an agricultural subsidy. Again, I'm going to be reading a lot of this online, you know, um, I, I'm not an expert in this. It's literally me just doing investigations, looking into it, reading websites. Um, I'll do my best to list all of these links in the description so you can do, go do your own reading and form your own opinions. Um, I'll try my best to be as unbiased as possible, but that's 
that is in itself impossible. You know, um, I'll have my own opinions in the back of my head and I'm sure they'll come out slightly when I'm talking about all this stuff. But I'm just trying to provide the information um, and then you can go and do the research. Like I said, you will spend hours looking into it um, because the rabbit hole goes down very, very deep. So an agricultural uh, subsidy is a governmental subsidy paid to farmers and agribusinesses to supplement their income, manage the supply of agricultural com commodities and influence the cost and supply of such commodities. Um, that's quite an interesting point, um, influence the cost and supply of such commodities. And that's something I will get into, probably not in today's episode, but um, in another one of the episodes I do, <clears throat> um, and the effect that has on a global sort of scale, especially in developing uh, countries. Examples of such commodities include wheat, feed grains, grain used as fodder such as maize, corn, sorghum, barley and oats, cotton, milk, rice, peanut sugar, tobacco, oil seeds such as soybeans, meat products such as beef, pork, lamb and mutton. Um, so broadly speaking, it is money paid to, to farmers and people um, that are involved in the agricultural industry um, to help them do what they do. You know, which is great. If people aren't fed, if countries don't have food, there will be absolute chaos. That is one thing we need to live. Other than a roof over our head and warmth and protection, we need to eat and drink. If we don't eat, we will die. It's a simple, a simple fact, basically. Um, so if I look at uh, agricultural subsidies by region, European Union. So in 2010, the EU spent 57 billion euros on agricultural development of which 39 billion was spent on direct subsidies. Agricultural and fisheries subsidies from over 40% form over 40% of the EU budget. Since 1992 and especially since 2005, the EU's common agricultural policy has undergone significant changes as subsidies have mostly been decoupled from production. The largest subsidy is the single farm payment. I'm not going to get into the single farm payment too much. Um, that's, from what I understand, that's basically what they call the subsidy that these farmers get. What I do want to highlight here, though, is, um, where is it? So, the significant change as subsidies have mostly been decoupled from production. So, basically, it's not on what you produce, but after looking into this, a lot of the subsidies get paid to farmers based on the amount of land they own. Um, it's roughly the same amount per hectare that they own, but the smaller the farms become, um, the larger portion of the profits they make comes from the subsidies, from these subsidies. So the, the really big farms will still get the single payment and still get paid, but they make they'll you know logically make more money from um, from farming rather than you know. The subsidies. A lot of the small farms that are, are really battling, excuse me, will make quite a lot of money from these subsidies. They'll make more money from it or their, their profit percentage will be largely from the subsidies rather than what they do. Um, so that's just a basic broad idea of what um, subsidies are here in uh, the European Union, which the UK might not or shouldn't be part of uh, for too much longer. Um, this website here, Economics help.org is farming is just it's about farming subsidies in the uk and i'll kind of just go through this so we can understand a bit more about it um okay 
Uh, it talks a lot about the EU and the politics and, you know, the benefit we might have from leaving the EU. Um, so, one potential benefit of leaving the EU is the opportunity to radically, radically change how we spend agricultural subsidies. The common agricultural policy, known as CAP, is one of the great mistakes of the EU. And a lot of, of what I've read online, everyone, people that are for and against the EU have said that the cap has been or was an absolute disaster. Um, it's gone through some reforms, they've tried to change it, and I'll list, I think this website lists it quite well. Um, but, you know, I'll just say that it's not just this website, there are a lot of people that have said it's been an absolute disaster. So I'll carry on reading. Um, Given the share of EU spending on agriculture, it is their flagship policy, yet the cap has given a very poor return in terms of economic and social welfare. Unfortunately, the EU has become caught by powerful agricultural lobbies. And again, in another episode, this will become very evident as you see what's happening with the money, where it's going to, you know, that kind of thing. And it has provided very difficult, as it has been, sorry, it has proven very difficult to wean Europe off these very extensive subsidies. There is no other industry which receives so much subsidy, and it is similar in the US, yet these subsidies have a very weak justification in terms of social benefit to society. Again, CAP costs 59 billion euros per year. That is a lot of billions. <clears throat> this damn thing keeps on getting out of focus. Sorry, guys. <clears throat> also, if the EU had shifted the budget of CAP into something more productive, like regional policy, the EU would have been able to make a much bigger improvement to depressed areas of the EU and would be in a much stronger position and perhaps more popular. Well, you know, I'm sure it's popular amongst uh, a lot of the EU states. Um, I'm not even going to get into that now. That's a whole different ballgame altogether. Okay, the original cap was an attempt to stabilise farmers' incomes by setting, setting minimum prices for food. That's something else I want you to bear in mind as well that I thought was quite interesting. And, you know, maybe I was just being really naive and maybe people knew this in general. But, again, this isn't just the cap, but farming subsidies in general have been used to stabilise the farming farmer's income and to, to help maintain a certain level um, of food price so that food doesn't get too expensive. And again, you can understand that. People need to eat. If food got too expensive, there would be absolute chaos. They'd be looting. People just wouldn't care. You know, it would go crazy, at least I think in my opinion. Um, so, <clears throat> carry on here, sorry. It, has, it was basically an e economic failure. Though it was a wonderful case study for those wanted to teach an example of failure. Essentially, the original cap was this. Minimum prices encouraged a large increase in supply, encouraging overuse of chemicals to enhance output. To maintain these minimum prices, the EU had to buy the surplus food, which was then stored, destroyed, or sold very cheaply to developing markets. At the height of cap, 70% of the EU budget was diverted into buying food we did not need. That is absolutely insane. Uh, I've lost my place now. It is also, it also involved high tariffs on food imports, harming trade relations and reducing the income of farmers in other countries. Another thing that this led me into looking into, and something that I had absolutely no idea would be a result of this, but having high tariffs on food imports 
is kind of good in a way because it forces people to buy local, which is great. You know, if you can support local growers, local farmers, that's amazing because you're supporting families. You know, small growers are, you know, just ordinary people with bits of land, you know, market gardeners or, or local farmers, doesn't matter, but you're supporting your local economy. However, we live in a first world country here in the UK. We are developed, we are industrialized, we've got industry, you know, we are years and years ahead of countries that are still developing. So a lot of, um, I suppose, I mean, Africa is, is the first one that comes to mind. It's a developing country. And in developing countries, their biggest source of income is often agriculture. Not always, but often. So this has an effect on them. So if there is a high cap on... Uh, high import duties on food coming from outside of the EU, from developing countries. What are they going to do? How will they develop? How will they get ahead in the world? It's incredibly difficult. And again, this might be a completely different rabbit hole to go down to, but it's just something that struck me. I thought it was incredible that it's got such far-reaching effects, not just on us, not just on people here in the UK or in Europe, but all over the world. Um, it's just... I don't know. It just blew my mind, basically. We're almost stopping or, or or slowing down the progress of other human beings just because um, of these subsidies and what they've done to the, the food market in general. Okay. The dumping on... The dumping of surplus food on world markets led to lower prices and lower income for food producers and food export exporters. It is also... It also distorted long-term economic trends, preventing the agricultural sector to respond to changing demand and supply. It also encouraged farmers to expect and rely on government subsidies, subsidies which have become politically very difficult to reduce. I think the reason why it becomes politically difficult to reduce is because, and I watched a really good video um, about this. I won't play it now because I'm not that technical, technologically advanced to mix it all together, but if I find it, I'll put the link up there. But basically, um, in countries or anywhere in the world where farming makes up a, a big part of what that country does, or where there are a lot of farmers, they need to get subsidized because the government will say, here, yeah, we will give you money in return for your vote. It, that's a, a political twist on it. And I think in, in any country where there's any industry where there is a lot of force or a lot of people behind it, those industries will get money. It'll be easier for them to get money from the government because the government wants them on their side. Um, so there's lots of underlying things going on here. It's not just about helping farmers out so they can live a comfortable life. There's so many other things. It's about getting votes, staying in power. Um, and that also struck me um, as, you know, quite interesting. So this was a classic example of government policy, which led to deadweight welfare loss. Now, um, reform cap. So it has since been reformed from what I understand. Um, let's take a look here. <clears throat> now also for people that are listening, because this is going to be uploaded as a podcast, I'll put these links as well so you can go and read them for yourself. Um, very slowly, the common agricultural policy was slowly reformed. Target minimum prices have mostly been reduced or removed, allowing some reduction in tariffs and ending the food mountains. However, although CAP was reformed, the total cost of CAP continued to rise, although it did fall as a percentage of EU spending. 
The cap was reformed by offering a different kind of subsidy, which include direct income payments to farmers. Essentially, people who owned agricultural land were given subsidies for having agricultural land. Just bear that in mind again. <laughs> in fact, the perver uh, perversity of this direct income subsidy scheme is that in some areas, it encouraged farmers to cut down trees and make wildlife areas nominally agricultural land to enable the farmers to be eligible for more subsidies. It just made me think when I read that, like if, oh, there goes my battery. I'm gonna have to change the battery. Hold on guys, rookie mistake. Okay, it's a good thing this podcast isn't recorded live because I just had to change the battery on the camera. Okay, so where was I? Um, yeah, so basically, um, the more land that you owned, the higher your subsidy was. So the fact that farmers wanted to cut down trees and make wildlife areas agricultural meant it makes you think, well, why do they want to do that? Is it just for more money? Um, is it just about greed or did, were they not making enough money from the land they had and therefore they could take steps to change parts of the land they owned to get more money? So that's another thing that got me thinking, like, is it all just about greed or are the rules set in place for, you know, a different reason? Um, and that different reason meaning I want to increase all the land I can farm because I want more money because I'm not making enough money. <clears throat> okay, uh, with no limit on farm subsidies, it has often been the richest landowners, there we go, the very next point, um, who have received the biggest cash handouts, with some estates receiving in the region of half a million pounds in cap subsidies each year. That's a lot of money. I mean, half a million pounds. Imagine just giving that to like some person who really needed it, you know. Um, rather, it is going to people that own a lot of land. And often people that own a lot of land aren't really short of money. Um, at least the last time I checked. <clears throat> so it's um, one of the worst transfers of taxpayers' money to make uh, to, to wealthy landowners. It is only surprising that there is no more outrage about the waste of taxpayers' money. Now, that last point, that you wonder, you know, um, it's surprising there's no outrage. I think the reason why there isn't this damn thing. I think the reason why there isn't more outrage is because people just don't know. I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea until I started looking into it. Again, maybe it's because I've just been living under a rock for the last sort of ten years, well, eight years that I've lived in the UK. But surely people would get really angry at that. Anyway, um, there'll be more about that in a following episode. <clears throat> um, I should add, in recent years, the EU has have attempted to make direct income payment supports dependent on certain criteria. Example, greening of farming. In 2013, the new greening component of CAP rewards farmers for adopting and maintaining as part of their everyday activities a more sustainable use of agricultural land and caring for natural resources. Uh, that's obviously a really, really good thing. So as far as I know, it's got to do with encouraging farmers to plant hedgerows, um, which encourages the diversity of wildlife and all that kind of thing, you know, which is which is great. Okay, so UK agricultural subsidies. Without having to achieve agreement with EU partners, so example, countries with very powerful farming lobby lobbies like France, the UK has the opportunity to use the current 3 billion of agricultural subsidies in a much more efficient way. What principles 
should we have for future agricultural subsidies? So, you know, I suppose that's one of the good things about it. We can control what, what happens with, with the, the money that we pay the EU um, as part of being a part of it. Um, obviously, there's lots of other different benefits of being part of the EU. Again, I don't want to get involved in that. That's a, a pretty complicated um, issue, you know, um, and I think it stirs up quite a lot of emotions with people both for and against it. So I will keep that out of here for now. But some of the examples are uh, limiting the subsidies. There is no good reason for wealthy landowners to receive a very large subsidy just because they own a lot of land. And I am 100% for that. Um, a lot of these wealthy landowners, and for example, one of them is Richard Dyson, the um, guy that invented you know Dyson vacuum cleaners and all the other products they make. You know, he... He's a multimillionaire. He's an incredibly wealthy man. Why should he receive subsidies? Because he owns a lot of land. Why should he receive subsidies when he's incredibly wealthy? When that money could be going to a small farmer who's struggling or, or young people that want to start farming. Um, you know, give them a sort of a, a kickstart in life. Say, well, here's some money. We will give you a piece of land or help you get land, help you set up and, you know, get your farming career started rather than going to wealthy individuals that don't really need it. Uh, so currently cap subsidies go overwhelmingly to the largest farms. In the EU 15, I don't know what that is. Uh, I'll look into that. 20% of the farms with the largest payment shares share 80% of the total payments. So 20% of the farms with the largest payments share 80% of the total payments. So basically 20% of the farms, which are the biggest ones, get the majority of all the money. There is a justification for offering subsidies to rural communities if there is a clear external benefit of that subsidy. Example, to help reduce rural poverty. Rural communities may need subsidies to protect local traditions. Example, subsidizing dry stone walls rather than cheaper barbed wire fence. Or it could involve subsidies to protect areas of outstanding natural beauty from development. That is, again, to me, quite a controversial one. You know, I'm all for protecting areas that are... You know, I'm not even going to get into that because that's going to cause a rage. <laughs> um, I won't get into that. Um... There is no reason why rural subsidies should only go to farmers. For example, there is a good case of subsidies to help young local people afford houses in the area they grew up, rather than being priced out, out by the demand for second holiday homes. You know, that's great, you know, help younger people be able to live where they are, but at the same time, you know, sometimes people should just move where they can afford to, I suppose. Um, that's neither here nor there. Again, I don't want to get involved in that. That's uh, probably going to give me some haters. Uh, environment. Any future subsidies should demonstrate a clear environmental benefit. Subsidies which reward farmers for cutting down trees to create more agricultural land is a negative. Ex uh, is negative. <clears throat> Recent flooding suggests that planting more trees by riverbanks can play a natural role in reducing flooding. There is a much better case for subsidies to reward landowners to plant trees in areas of risk of flooding. Subsidies don't necessarily deal with the underlying problem. Many small farms face intense financial pressure from oversupply and, uh, don't even know how to say that word, monop okay, never mind, from oversupply and supermarkets who are able to put uh, downward pressure on prices. However, giving subsidies doesn't tackle these root problems of agriculture. In fact, agricultural subsidies could be seen as a subsidizing supermarket's um, power. Supermarkets pay low prices, farmers get low income, so the taxpayers send subsidies to the farmers to make up the difference. 
Um, you know, that's a really, really tricky one. I can understand the need to, to keep prices down um, in terms of, you know, people just might not earn enough money to buy fresh fruit and vegetables. You know, that's an important thing to be able to have in anyone's um, household is fresh food every single week. Um, you know, granted, the supermarkets do play a role in pushing down prices, which has a knock-on effect for the farmers. But um, like it says here, it's not really solving any problems. These subsidies, as they currently stand, um, isn't remedying that. They, there must be other solutions out there. And maybe directing these farm subsidies into initiatives that um, help create local fresh food that is easy to access for everyone might solve the problem. If more people want to get into farming because they can make a bit of money from it um, and it becomes a, a living that you know can sustain their family, you know there'll be more fruit and vegetables anyway because more people are growing them, um, which will you know drive down the price anyway, you know supply and demand, that's how it goes basically. Um, there's probably quite a fine line between having too many farmers, too much supply, and there'll be you know less demand, so it's sort of a catch-22. Um, which brings me on to the very next thing about these subsidies, and do farmers make more money from them, or do they make money from farming? How, you know, where do, do, do farmers' incomes come from? And this is a really, really good website called fullfact.org, the UK's independent fact-checking charity. So the question is asked, do farmers make more money from subsidies than agriculture? <clears throat> and the claim is, in brief, the average farmer made £28,300 in subsidies last year. Um, I think that was 2015. Yeah, this was published in August 2016. So 2015. Um, and £2,100 from agriculture. The average cereal farmer lost £9,500 in agriculture. The conclusion, again in brief, the basic point is correct. Last year, farmers did make more money from subsidies on average than from agriculture. Whether or not the exact figures are correct depends on whether you look at subsidies or all, all payments that farmers receive from government schemes. Okay. So um, if you kind of break this down a bit more and go into all the nitty gritty, uh, the basic point is correct. Farmers in the UK made more money from subsidies than agriculture. Uh, than agriculture. Cereal farmers lost money. Um, again, it's it's difficult to have exact figures. This is all just averages based on the data that they've obviously collected and that's available out there. On average, English farmers made £39,000 profit last year from their farming business. Only £2,100 of this came from agriculture, which is what springs to people's mind when you think of farming. And again, this is something I didn't really know until I started looking into all of this. So it, it kind of got me thinking, well, what happened if those EU subsidies stopped? And, you know, they will when we leave the EU. And is the government going to carry on subsidizing farmers? And I think they, they will basically have to. There's no way they couldn't. You know, it'll cause chaos. Um, but why would anyone want to be a farmer? I mean, I don't understand it. Why would you want to get into a profession where you can't make money from farming and you rely on subsidies? Um, like, what happened... If there was just a massive meltdown and the government just ended, you know, this is like a bit like of a, a pop, apocalyptic view, but it could happen. You know, governments fall, things go wrong. Where would farmers get their money from? Like, who would just want to keep working and know that they won't make money from it? Um, 
Yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy. It kind of made me think that our food system is on a very fine balance of not kind of being sustainable. It, could, it wouldn't take much for it to end um, or for, for the system as we know it to not function correctly. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's see. On the other hand, the average English farmer received £24,900 in subsidies last year. Once you deduct the cost involved in making use of the subsidies, the employing, like employing labour and machinery, the benefit is closer to £22,400. That's a pretty decent wage, you know, if someone's farming. That's, if you think, if they make the money from that, you can see why they want the subsidies, because they get money from it. Um, so let's see, what do you call a subsidy? So the figure reached by the Times of 28,300 includes the total profit after costs from the single payment scheme and the profit after costs from agri-environment payments. These are all monies paid to farmers by the government and the EU. However, DEFRA told us that it doesn't class these agri-environment payments as subsidies received by farmers. That's because they are meant to compensate farmers for any income they lose as a result of carrying out work which benefits the environment and isn't farming, such as planting woodlands. So that's, you know, I suppose, something to bear in mind that they, you know, some of the subsidies comes from what they are doing to benefit the environment rather than, you know, actually farming. So subsidies relate to money which support farmers' income and protects them against things like big changes in market prices. <clears throat> Again, I suppose that's a good thing. You know, if food prices are maintained in a sort of a stable way, it only serves the population well, really. If food prices were going up and up and down and up and down, it would again create uncertainty people would freak out not knowing if they could afford to eat so i suppose those subsidies are good in the sense that they help give an even sort of level to everything okay so how do farms make their money the business income of farms is typically made up of four key areas agriculture um, which obviously doesn't prove to be that um, profitable diversification agri-environment and the single payment scheme so uh, agricultural costs cover things generated from livestock or crops, um, which is basically what farming is. So crops as in vegetables and fruits and livestock, chickens, beef, you know, uh, lamb, sheep, all that kind of thing. Does diversification covers other activities which a farm might do to bring in income, including tourism, rent or retail ventures. And I'm sure you've seen, especially in the UK, a lot of small farms are offering... Um, you know, camping over over the summer, they might have a really nice piece of land um, and they might not be able to use it for growing crops or they could, but it works out a lot more profitable to use maybe an acre for a campsite um, where they know they're near like a popular tourist des destination or if they're in Cornwall, for example. Um, you know, Kerry and I have uh, gone to Cornwall and stayed in a farm, uh, you know, camped on a farm. So there's, there's lots of farms doing that kind of thing. They could have like little farm shops. Um, where people go and there's a little cafe and they can do whatever, you know, have some tea and cake and buy some of the local produce. But, you know, I've seen it. Definitely there are more and more farms out there that are doing that kind of thing to supplement their income. Um, Agri-environment is mainly schemes which require farmers to manage their land in an environmentally beneficial way. Uh, they take part in schemes and are compensated by the government for any income they may have lost. Um, for example, by planting woodland on their land. But, I mean, again, I don't understand all the ins and outs of it, but is there a point where it becomes more profitable for them not to farm but plant woodland? 
you know. So they could think, well, maybe if I spend <clears throat> three months of the year, you know, planting hedgerows and planting woodland, I will make more money. Surely as a farmer, you should be spending more time farming, producing food for people. Why would you be a farmer? Obviously, they're not making enough money from farming, so they're kind of going on to other things to to supplement the income. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it's great that they're doing stuff to help the environment. Um, but us as a society could be doing that ourselves, you know, through education, through other schemes. Um, you know, I don't know why it's left up to farmers. It's, it's crazy. You know, if anyone knows the answer, let me know. Okay. Uh, most types of English farm make more in subsidies than they do in agriculture. The figure changes from year to year and between various sizes of farm. In 2014-13-14, the average farm's profit from agriculture was £6,600, which fell to £2,100 the next year. Large farms in 2014-15 made £22,300 from agriculture, whereas small farms lost £6,600. The amount of profits made also varies between the types of farms. So, you know, this website goes on to give some examples of um, certain livestock farms or poultry farms can be incredibly profitable. Um, so where was the one here? Let's see. A specialist poultry farm uh, made £126,800 in profit from a farm. That's a lot of money, you know, for a farmer. Um, but again, that's not that's only that specific kind. It's not 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 all farms, so it does vary. Um, the amount received in subsidies varies from the size of the farm. All farms receive roughly the same amount per hectare, although the smaller they are, the greater the greater proportion of their profit it will make up. On average, small farm subsidies make up around seventy eight percent of the total profit. On medium size, it's sixty one percent, and on large, it's forty six percent. That's still a lot. On a large farm, almost half of your profit comes from a subsidy. It's crazy. Across all farms, subsidies make around 57% of the total profit on average. These levels give a general um, these levels give a general overview of each farm type, but the levels of subsidies and agriculture output will vary from farm to farm depending on their circumstances. So for those listening to the podcast and not watching the video, um, there's basically like a little graph saying uh, what kind of crops are, or, or livestock? Is it dairy farming? Is it general cropping or cereal? Um, and how much they make from agriculture, diversification, agri-environment, um, and that kind of thing. So I won't go into that because it's a bit uh, complicated. But you get the, the general idea that you know farms make a lot of their profit from these subsidies. Um, it goes on to say there are similar pictures in Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So I won't get too much into that. Um, most of the money for farming subsidies comes from the EU budget. The bulk of subsidies and payments for farmers across Europe comes from the EU's common agricultural policy. Okay. It starts going into a bit about how they are paid. Um, there's two different ways. A single payment, which is amount eligible which is that they're paid based on the amount of eligible land they have and how much funding was historically received. And then there's a few other ways, you know, with smaller schemes, like I said before, to improve the environment, quality of life in rural areas, etc., etc. Okay. So that gives you, you know, a basic idea of, you know, how much money 
farmers make from the subsidies. I think that's quite important in understanding what farming subsidies are and what they're used for. Okay, um, so there's two more things I'd like to speak about in this episode. And one of them is, does the EU spend 40% of its budget on farm subsidies? Um, this, again, is on the UK's independent fact-checking website, uh, fullfact.org. Um, it, it gets quite involved, actually. Agriculture makes up 1.5% 1, 1. of production of the European Union, so it cannot be right that almost 40% of the EU budget is still spent on the common agricultural policy. Um, this kind of gets a bit more into the into the, the the politics of what the EU are spending their money on uh, in in on the within the common agricultural policy. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much. Uh, I think you should read this by yourself. It's kind of going to go off topic quite a lot. Um, I wanted to basically speak a bit more about what these these. Um, uh, subsidies are, where they come from, who gets them, just as a base for what, I, what I'll speak about in the next couple of episodes. Um, something that is interesting though, it says, uh, the CAP does not only support the uh, the farmers that grow food, it also provides assistance to farmers who cultivate cotton and tobacco. That is absolutely insane. Like, why should someone that grows tobacco get a subsidy? When they in the UK, there are massive taxes on, on people smoking and, you know, they've changed all the, the packaging to plain packaging with loads of warnings about how it can kill you. But they will subsidize people that grow the very thing that they're trying to stop people doing. That's nuts. Absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> while they won't feed a hungry continent, these crops will support the survival of rural communities. That's great. But then, you know... Maybe they should grow other things that aren't bad for people, like tobacco. It's just insane. I don't understand it sometimes. Um, you know, like I've said, it, I'm, I'm all for people being able to make a living, but surely there must be other things they can do, you know. Um, or at least the government shouldn't contradict themselves and say, oh, you don't smoke, don't smoke. We're going to make it more difficult and more expensive for people to smoke. It's a massive strain on the NHS. By the way, we'll give some of our subsidy money to people that grow the stuff. It's absolutely crazy. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that too much. Um, the last thing I want to speak about, which will be a bit more what I'll speak about in the next episode, is... Um, let me just see here. Yeah, is about um, who gets the subsidies. And, you know, a lot of people have basically said it's the biggest transfer of wealth to rich people and that stems back from the fact that you get paid on not what you produce but how much land you have um, and it only goes to say naturally that rich people uh, have more land that's just you know that's the way it works basically no one's got an equal uh, equal piece of land they are you know business owners the monarchy there are people out there that have a lot more land than other people because of their position in general in society <clears throat> um, let's just take a look so wealthy aristocrats and farmers in Britain have landed 3.6 billion from hugely controversial European subsidies funded by funded by taxpayers according to new figures that snuck out after the general election. So this was released in 2015, this article. Um, 
I'm not going to get too much into this. I just wanted to highlight that now um, for you to think about before the next episode. Um, so to outline everything, um, these subsidies are paid to farmers to help subsidize their income. Um, from what I understand in the UK, some farmers aren't really making much money from farming. Um, and these subsidies keep them going, basically. So um, I'll speak more about who gets money in the next episode. It's incredibly interesting and at the same time, very, very, very aggravating. Um, the money is basically going to the wrong places as far as I'm concerned. But I hope this gives you guys a good sort of base for, you know, a bit about subsidies and where they come from. Um, I might do another episode about the history of them, but it gets really uh, complex and it goes back hundreds of years. So I might just... Um, leave it at that but i hope you enjoyed this and it will be great if you listen to the next podcast that comes out hopefully in the next couple of weeks um and i'll upload them to uh, soundcloud and itunes but if you have any questions or comments i'd like to hear from you you know i mean i might be um taking this from the wrong angle or being sort of one-sided and unfortunately i've got no one else to speak about it with it's just me talking about it um, and i'm not an expert either um, it would be great to speak to someone and get a different perspective. And I think that's only fair, really. I, I might be completely misguided about what I'm speaking about. I might be completely wrong. But um, from what I see, it is a bit of a twisted system that's a lot more compl complex than, than what people actually know or think. Um, and I also think I get the feeling that it would be incredibly difficult to change it. Anyway, I will see you guys next time and speak to you next time. Um, I hope you enjoy this podcast and enjoy this video. And if you have any questions, uh, just let me know. And uh, it would be great if you could subscribe to the channel and leave a like and a comment down below. So that's it for the first episode of the podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed listening to it. Um, I have certainly enjoyed making it. I know I probably went off on a tangent more than once, but it is an incredibly interesting subject with loads and loads of different avenues you can go down and explore. Um, so it's quite difficult to keep my thoughts on the same page all the time. And it's also difficult just speaking into your microphone without someone to bounce ideas off and sort of keep the conversation going in a specific way. Anyway, um, it's just the beginning point of the rest of the episodes and I hope that after the next few that I do about um, EU or farming subsidies in general, everything will start piecing together and you know you can learn some stuff for yourself. Um, I just think it's really important that we need to know about these kind of things. So it would be great if you guys could um, subscribe to this podcast, um, leave a review if you like it. If you don't like it, I'm really sorry, you know, I can't please everyone, but you know, I'm, I'm going to keep making these regardless and hopefully they just keep getting better as I get more experienced and when I find other people to interview so it's not just boring old me, you know, um, but I plan on interviewing um, some farmers, like I said, and just kind of doing all things farming based on the podcast so i will see you guys hopefully in the next couple of weeks um i've got to get the scheduling down and sort of plan my life around how i'm going to do it but that's it for today thank you very much see you next time <laughs>